0: My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. I see a lot of new faces. It's good to have you guys around. See a lot of people who are beginning to filter back in from the holiday. What's up, college kids? Andrew, what's up? Travis, where are you at? Travis, happy birthday. Bam. Let's hear it for Travis. He's one of our favorite people. How old are you, Trav? 26. 26. Come on. So good. So good. All right. Uh, If you want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 this morning, I'm going to kind of continue on a little bit of a theme that we started last week, uh, especially as we are at the dawn of a new year, just ways to approach a new year a little bit here. Uh, Before we get into that, I'd like to tell you that, uh, just so I can keep you informed, Uh, staff and I, we took a retreat this week to the great smoky mountains. We stayed in a giant cabin and we kicked some major administrative, butt. and I would like to announce, even though it means probably relatively little to you, it means a lot to me. So I want to talk about it. Um, since I have a microphone, I'll talk about it. We planned out the entire year in one week and there's tons. We've never done that before. Like I am not an administrative person. I had, two administrative people with me and you turn administrative people loose with a day or two or two and a calendar and like stuff will happen. I I don't know. It feels, I feel like all my shirts are ironed and all my laundry is done. (laughs) You know, It's, it's like everything is ready to go. So, uh, and there'll be some things that we'll chat with you guys about in the coming weeks. Just got some really cool stuff I think online. And, uh, I don't think I've ever been quite this excited about whatever it means to be a part of the vineyard. God's kind of helping us. All right. Yeah. um, Also, I felt like I feels like I'm forgetting something. Babe, you're so amazing. (laughs) All right. I I guess it wasn't important then. Yeah, we're going to look at a couple, just a couple verses this morning out of Romans chapter 12, like some of the most famous verses, uh, just verse 1 and 2, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to set that up um, for those of you who weren't with us last week and for those of you who were and who are like me, just need the repetition. Um, you know, I love New Year's. Uh, some people don't. Some people are like curmudgeons and, you know, they always call themselves realists, you know, and. But realists are just they are just dreamers who got disappointed. And, and we want to we wanna, we wanna keep a dream alive. And so I love New Year's because it reflects something in the heart of God. There's a reason that people resonate with New Year's because it actually reflects something in the heart of God. It reflects, it reflects the end of the book where he says, Behold, I make all things new. It, we, we yearn for, we yearn for uh, all things to be made new. Uh, we, we yearn for that time when he will come and make everything right. Uh, We resonate with it already because He has already begun that. You know, a lot of times we live with an eschatology that says everything that's good is going to happen in the future. Everything that's great is on the way. And that's not entirely true because I read the book and part of the book says that Jesus was dead but now is alive. So everything that is going to come has already started. And so we resonate with like, we resonate with New Year's, we resonate with new beginnings, we resonate with renewal, not just because... It's a way to make life better, but because it's actually woven deeply in the heart of God, it's something that He is going to do. But it's not just something He is going to do; it's something that He is already doing. And when we when we begin to when we begin to reorder our lives, we begin to anticipate what God is already doing and begin to partner with Him in where He is already going. If that makes sense to you. And we talked a little bit last week about how the very beginning, odd as it may seem, the very beginning of living out of a season of renewal, living out of a season of refining your life, living out of a season where we uh, redefine whatever it is we want to make priority for the new year. The very beginning of that, at least from a Christian perspective, at least in a kingdom perspective, is living from a place of repentance and from going going from out here to in here and saying, God, is there any wayward part in me? Is there, any, is there any part in my heart that is still yet rebellious and fighting with you and your good intention? Because one of the things that we see over and over in the Gospels is that John came with a message of repentance. It sets up Jesus. Jesus' first message was repentance. He brings the kingdom. There's something about repentance. There's something about saying, God, Search my heart that anticipates what He will already do and allows us to be in step with what He wants to do. You know, it's hard, to, it's, hard to want, it's hard to have plans for more in your life if your life is already filled up with what's rotten. It's hard to have room for anything good if your life is already a nightmare. And there's something about the beginning of a new year that isn't just about a season of dreaming bigger dreams, but it's also about saying, God, search me and know me. Look on the inside. Speak to me. Tell me, you know. I don't know about you guys, but one of the prayers that God has always answered in my life, always, is God, is there anything you want to is there anything you want to tell me about my life? God, is there any search me, know me. Is there anything that you'd like to point out to me? And it's not from this like it's not from this beat up no good, rotten servant place of, oh, I'm just I'm just miserable and God doesn't like me. It's not that. It's just, God, is there any place in me that is still yet rebellious to you, still yet yet fights your good intention for my life. Anytime I've ever begun to approach God in that way, He always responds. And so this is a season of renewal, but that renewal begins with reflection. And I want to encourage everybody in the room this, in, in these few days here that we have at the beginning of the year to make this a season of Reflection. See, the beginning of renewal actually starts with realizing that you need to be renewed. Jesus says weird things in the Gospels. He says things like this. He says, I've come to heal the sick. It's the the sick who need a physician. Jesus gets challenged one time. He says, he looks at his challengers. He says, well, it's the sick who need a physician. And really the backhanded statement that Jesus is making to those guys is, if you don't think you're sick, I have nothing for you. See, the beginning of renewal is realizing that you need renewed. And there's a certain kind of lifestyle, there's a certain kind of reflection that allows us to become more aware of our great need to be renewed. And one of the things that has happened, at least in my own life, is the older I get, and it's not just a a chronology thing of getting older, but it's the older I get in Jesus, the more I I become aware of my great need for Him. As a 33-year-old man, I'm way more aware that I need Him than I was at 17. Seventeen, I thought I was pretty straight. Nothing like a decade plus to show you how unstraight you really are, especially with walking with Him. And so the older I get in Jesus, the more I become aware of my great need for Him. And But there's good news in it because the other thing I've become aware of, especially after walking with the Lord, I've become more aware that I need Him and I've become even more aware that He desires me. The one thing that eclipses my need for Him is His desire for me. He really doesn't need me, He just desires me. And I've become more and more aware of His great desire for me. So renewal begins with realizing that you need to be renewed. It it comes from an awareness, it comes from reflection. And it's the kind of reflection where we let down our guard a little bit and we listen to the still small voice of the Spirit. Now God can speak in all kinds of ways, but one of the way main ways that God speaks in our life, the Scripture describes it as a still, small voice. Still, small voice. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I have heard the still, small voice of God 150,000 times. I'm exaggerating. I don't know how many times I've heard the still, small voice of God. But the Scripture talks about God having a still, small voice. And we have to sort of like let our guard down a little bit to allow the the still small voice of the Spirit to speak to us. And I'm becoming more and more convinced the older I get in Jesus that there's a reason why God's voice is still and small. Because the still small voice requires that I actually want to hear Him in order to be able to hear it. You realize any fool can hear a shout, right? It, It takes the hungry heart. It takes the listening ear. It takes a certain kind of lifestyle to hear the deal small voice. And, and there's something about God. And this says something about who He is. You know, we've spent our whole lives, especially if you grew up in the church, we spent our whole lives talking about how big God is. And it's true. I just want to confirm that. It is really true. It really is true. Uh, the edges of the universe are even now expanding. It's actually expanding faster and faster all the time. We can't keep up with how big the universe is. If the universe is that big, the God who made it must be way bigger. So whatever this thing about God being big is, it's accurate. You know, preaching here at the Vineyard is incredible. The well of insight is never ending. Just come and get under my anointing. You know. Oh, man, it's going to be one of those days. Some of you guys are new and you're like, are they silly at the vineyard? You better believe it. And we're looking for ways to become more silly. Yeah, there's enough serious pastors in the world. I can talk about them because I am one. But I'm getting set free. Ow! (laughs) Where did that come from? Oh. Yeah, man. I've been with the bishop. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no recovery. Pull up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but we we've lived our lives talking about how big God is. We've got this ever expanding universe and he's the kind of God who creates things by just, he just talks about it and then it happens, you know? Like how big do you have to be to talk about it and see it happen? That's pretty impressive. By the way, it works for you and I the very same way. You just talk about it and it begins to happen. It's one of the main steps in creativity, even though that's not what we're talking about this morning. So he's so big that he talks about things and then they happen. Things as big as the universe can happen. He's huge. And then there's that Sunday school question. It's like, can God create a rock that's too big for him to carry? You know, it kind of gets at the heart of the question. Roll around that one with that one at night. You'll, you'll get a headache. If you were to think about that question and eternity, your head might pop off of your shoulders. <laughs> Heather had some art students this week who confessed to her that they lay at night. They've been laying in their beds at night and they've been thinking about eternity and they get headaches from thinking about eternity. Fourth and fifth graders, when, when when does concept of eternity become real around fourth grade? Yeah he's this really big god. but here's the question. We've got this massive God, edges of the universe ever expanding, super huge, creates with worlds, creates words with worlds, creates words worlds with words. I speak for a living. He's really big, but then he whispers. We've got a really big whispering God. I mean, he could shout, right? I mean, theoretically, he could shout. I mean, he could draw back the curtain of heaven right now. He could scream into the room. We would all urinate. (laughs) (laughs) And just so you know, that word was considerably less colorful than the first one that popped into my head. (laughs) Filters on today. It's going to be a good day. See, theoretically, he could shout. I mean, he really could. But he chooses not to. And if he chooses not to, then it says something about who he is. And it says really something about the kind of nature and the kind of relationship he would like to have with you and I. Because the whisper has to be attended to. Not only that, but how many of you realize that the most intimate things you've ever heard in your life were the things that were whispered to you? Husbands, hello. Right? The sweetest things my wife has ever said to me have been, In the bed, on the pillow, next to my ear. Like the really sweet stuff. The really sweet stuff that you say to your wife, you don't necessarily shout at her. The the things that change your heart for a good way. I've shouted at my wife, it doesn't change her heart in a good way. It doesn't work. So what I would like to say this morning is that for us, God is shouting in the whispers. He's shouting in the whispers, but you have to attend to it. There's a kind of a lifestyle that allows you to pick up the whisper. I've never heard him speak audibly. I know he can. I know some people have. I know he does. I'm not maligning that. I'm just saying that he, over and over, he normally speaks in the whisper. It reveals something about who he is. Whispers are intimate. Intimate and then they reflect his nature and his nature is that he's a father of love you know if he was if he was the angry god that everybody says he is he'd be shouting a lot more but the fact that he whispers reveals that he's actually a father of love Just let that settle for a little bit, because this is one of the things we really need to get—we need to get settled right now. Because we need to live a life of reflection. We need to say, "God, is there any wayward part in me?" And then we need to listen for the whisper. We need to listen for the whisper. He's a God of love. He's going to whisper. See, when we begin to attune our lives to listen to the whisper, one of the things that happens is. It requires that we be the kind of person who wants to hear from him. Okay, when we become the kind of person that wants to hear from him, that attends to a whisper, it's the kind of it's the kind of atmosphere, it's the kind of internal heart culture that is actually already beginning to change, even though we haven't heard from him yet. See, in in the kingdom of heaven, the process the process changes you. He's a processed God. And so the fact that He requires us to listen for a whisper, actually on the front end, it front loads a beginning portion of change even even before we hear His Word. And when we hear His Word, when we actually hear His Word, there is all kinds of life and change on that. But just the kind of person you have to be to even hear His Word prepares you for the change, already begins to change the chemistry and the internal atmosphere of who you are. While we're talking about the voice of the Lord, I love what Robin says. Robin McMillan, he said, it's really interesting. We talk about the voice of God, and it's hardly ever a voice. And he's so right. The whisper of the Spirit is almost always woven right into your life circumstances, woven into your dreams. Not just like the hopes and dreams of your heart, but like your actual go-to-sleep dreams. Your actual go to sleep. Like, the second most common way that God speaks in the scripture is through dreams when people are asleep. Like, they're almost never pizza dreams, you guys. It's really funny. Even in the church, even in a church that believes that God speaks, even in a church that believes that God speaks in dreams, we are still mostly convinced that the dreams we have are pizza. If you believe that most of the dreams you have are pizza, you're going to miss the whisper. It can seem bizarre, and he is speaking. He is he is whispering, right? In. So he's speaking through life circumstances. He's speaking. He's speaking through dreams. He's speaking through little impressions. What are little impressions? Those little gut hunches. Little gut. We, we it happens all the time. It's just like you get bumped in it. Just kind of get bumped on the inside. You feel something. You go, wow! What was that? Random thoughts. How many of you guys have ever had random thoughts that were absolutely not your own? and the next thought after the random thought was where did that come from <laughs> yeah yeah thoughts from nowhere and they come from they come from this like faith current there's this faith current in the spirit where where the brackish waters of spirit and flesh are doing this and somewhere in those brackish waters there's the presence of god and there's his voice still and small it, here's the other part, too. Because when God begins to speak, it's oftentimes small. It's oftentimes internal. I don't have time to go to John chapter 14 and show this to you right now. But it's oftentimes internal. And because it's internal, it oftentimes, you, your first inclination is to think that it's you. You're not the author of every thought that's in your brain, He's speaking to you. You're not the author of every feeling that's in your body. You're not the author of every emotion that you have. We have to tune ourselves, and this is a, so there's a life of reflection. This is this is an opportunity for us. These days are just an opportunity for us to reflect and to invite him in to let him speak, so that we can, in an increasing measure, become aware of our need. So you won't be able to change if you don't think you need to change. It's what we talked about last week. I, I, I'm not going to do a full review, but I do want to review one little part. You know, you you can't make room for more of God if your cup is dirty and full. And so it's a season to clean out the cup. If you're living an increasingly isolated life, it's one of the signs that you're out of step with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's one of the signs that the cup of your life has become dirty because when the cup of our life is dirty, we keep distance from people so they cannot see over the edge and into what's inside and really know who we are. In 2011, if you became more isolated, then this is a really great chance for you to clean out the interior of your cup. Not only that, but when we don't clean out the cup, um, the cup of our life, when it becomes dirty, it gets trapped in a downward spiral, a downward spiral, and it loses nobility. So this is what happens. you got a cup. When it's clean... It can hold water. It can be a source of refreshing. It can be a source of of nourishment. It can it can be a source of benefit. But when the cup gets dirty, if it's not cleaned, then it loses its noble use of being able to refresh and to nourish. And pretty soon it becomes something else. And maybe you'll just maybe you won't like the cup anymore. And so now the cup is just like holding bacon grease. And then pretty soon maybe the cup doesn't hold bacon grease anymore. Maybe you just use it to, to hold fishing worms. And then you leave it outside for a while and then the cup gets rusty. And now the cup becomes just as it becomes the piece of it becomes basically the trash that it contains—a downward spiral. Clean out the cup. And one of the main places we need to clean out is anywhere where we've been been hard at work, and any place where we feel like we've been used. You know, some of us in the room—we feel like we've been used. Well, yeah, you're a cup. The places, the places where we extend our usefulness, the places where we extend, the places where we where we work, the places where we serve—those are the places that we're most likely wounded and need need healing. It's the hand that holds the shovel that gets calluses. It's the heart that loves people that gets disappointed. So this is a season to, to listen for the still small voice. It's a season to reflect so that we can be renewed. It's a season to clean out the inside of the cup. It's a season to let Him speak and become aware of our need. And I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 12. I have like nine things I want to talk about, so I don't even know how this is going to work. I'm not going to talk about nine things, so Chill. Uh, everybody in the room knows everybody in the room knows the Great Commission Matthew chapter 28 those last few verses 18, 19, 20 go into all the earth make disciples teach them to do everything I taught you guys and you know they're they're really important verses and they're really um, they're really well known for a reason because it's sort of it's sort of the mission it's sort of what we're given to and Um, but one of the things we oftentimes miss is the transformational nature of those words that Jesus spoke when Jesus said go and make disciples of nations he wasn't saying hey you know what just go baptize people and get them really good and wet he was actually saying something much more deep and much more profound he was actually saying take take what you've learned from me and transform culture I mean that's really what he was getting at. So it was it's not just get people to say a prayer and get them in water. It's actually much more nuanced, complex, deep, transformative. It's actually a transformation word. Jesus is saying, everything you've seen in me, everything that's gotten on you, now go take it, give it to other people and transform culture. And one of the ways that one of the ways to read that is uh, not just in terms of transforming culture, but we have to understand the people that he gave the mission to. So he gave the mission to twelve guys. We're only down at this point. We're at eleven of them. One's gone, and we've got eleven guys. They're not very talented, but they've hung out with Jesus, and hanging out with Jesus totally changes their life. And then it's these guys who have been totally changed who go and change the world. You know, you guys. Everybody is in the room this morning because eleven guys did a decent job at hanging out with Jesus. Right. What's the point? The point is transformed people transform culture. All right. And everybody in this room, every single person has a call to transform culture. But we can't we can't even begin to walk in our call to transform culture unless we're transformed people. We can only transform to the extent that we've been transformed. We can only give to the extent that we've received. That's what Jesus says. Freely you've received, now freely give. Meaning what? You can't give away anything you haven't received. If you're broken, guess what you'll give away? Brokenness. If you're angry, guess what you'll give away? Anger. Right? It, 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 the love of God has to touch every single room in, in our heart in order for us to be the kind of people who can transform. And so that's really where we're at. Um, this is a season to reflect and to invite God into, into new places because we want to partner with his goal of seeing culture transformed. Not just culture in general, but this culture, this region. He's planted us here, which means that he's given us authority in this region. Like if Campbellsville stays jacked up, it isn't his fault. I mean, it really isn't. Like if if Campbellsville stays overrun with, with drugs, prescription and otherwise, it isn't his fault. It's because we're, it's because we haven't fully allowed the transforming presence of Jesus to touch our own life. I read something really disturbing. I think I shared it once with you guys, but I want to share it again. I read something really disturbing about seven months ago in Relevant magazine. That they did a, a really kind of short article, just sort of a little update article on abortion in America, and it was completely freaking me out. But in America, and I I I won't give the exact numbers. But uh, I do remember one number, and it's in America, uh, in the last five years, 56% of abor- the abortions in America have, been, uh, have happened to Christian girls, meaning Catholics and evangelicals, 56%. So most of the abortions in America are coming from Christian girls. See, if, a mor- if abortion stays a problem in America, it isn't Jesus' fault. It's because we haven't, we haven't been transformed on the inside. And by the way, we won't be able to legislate this thing away. It's an internal heart issue. You know? So if culture is going to change, and by culture, I mean our culture, our region, Taylor County, Green County, Adair County, Marion County, if these areas are going to change, it's going to be because we've been changed. So how do you change? Really quickly. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12 verse 1 it says Paul says this he says therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will it's one of those transformation verses <clears throat> See, renewal always comes in the kingdom of heaven. Renewal is always inside out. Renewal is always inside out. Jesus says, clean out the cup. Jesus says, it's not what you put in your body that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your body that makes you unclean. Renewal is always inside out. And this renewal process for us, guys, uh, begins with being able to see His mercy. Paul says in verse 12, he says, verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy. See, the beginning of being a renewed person is being able to see the mercy of God. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but there's enough there's enough stuff in life that you can find whatever you're looking for. Like if you want to find the good, you'll find the good. If you want to find the bad, you'll find the bad. Like this whole this whole Genesis, two trees in the garden, it's still real. You can eat from whatever tree you want to look for. You'll find whatever you're looking for. And the beginning part of becoming a renewed person on the inside out begins with being able to see God's mercy. Not just one time when you were a sinner and then you gave your heart to Jesus, but continually being able to see God's mercy. Continually being able to see His hand of favor work in your life. See, here's the deal. The mercy of God is the Mount Everest on the landscape and everything we do sits beneath its shadow. You say, what kind of person could live their life and not see the Mount Everest of mercy? The person who isn't looking for it. It's there. It's absolutely there. So it begins with being able to see see His mercy. Being able to see that my life has been covered by mercy. Not only that, but, but this... But the mercy of God is so much the Mount Everest on the landscape of our life, that it doesn't. It's not just that everything we do sits beneath its shadow, but it gives reference. It's like a landmark. It it it, it tells us where we are. Any of you guys ever been in a really big city and you d- you weren't sure where you were and you're like, oh yeah, there's the Sears Tower. Now I know where I'm at. You know what I mean? It's the mercy of God. In view of God's mercy, how many of you in the room have ever been bailed out? Anybody in here ever been bailed out? How many of you have ever been really stupid? Let me just get down. How many of you have ever been really stupid? Really stupid. And then, that quick, everything turned around in your favor. That's the mercy of God in your life. How many of you have ever done something really, really dumb with money? I mean, real dumb. And the moment you did it, I mean, like you signed and before you even drove off the lot, you knew that was a mistake. And then God turned it around for you. Anybody ever done something really dumb with money and God bailed you out? That's his mercy. Did you recognize it? How many of you have ever been in an absolute relational jam with no, no, no answer? Just there was no answer. Like every word that could possibly come out of your mouth would only make the jam stickier. Anybody ever been there? And then that quick, everything worked out in your favor. Not only worked out in your favor, but worked out in the other person's favor as well. It's the mercy of God. How many of you have ever really hoped for something and then it didn't work out? How many of you have ever done something really dumb with money and then it didn't work out and you paid for it? Can I tell you what that is? It's the mercy of God. Oh, why? How? It's the mercy of God that it doesn't always, that we don't always get bailed out like that because he wants to lead us through a process that can actually change us and make us a different kind of person. But you have to be able to see it. And I promise you this, if you don't see him when he's bailing you out in an instant, you sure as heck aren't going to see him when he doesn't. But it's the Mount Everest. It's sitting there the entire time. And renewal begins with being able to see the mercy of God. He's been so good to people. And the ultimate picture of God's mercy, of course, is Jesus broken. And here's the real tragedy of Jesus broken. We know it so well, and we've heard it so many times. We've heard it preached so many times that we've actually become callous to it. It's like people who work at a museum who walk by really great art every day, and they will go through a room this size filled with world masterpieces from the last 600 years, and they will walk from one end to the other without even skipping a beat. And the whole time, I'm frozen. The last time I went to the Chicago Art Institute, I got frozen by a Jackson Pollock. It was really big. And I got frozen. And then one of the guys in the little special coats with the golden buttons just walked right in front of me. And I was like, but here's a Jackson Pollock! You know? How does that happen? And it's one of the dangerous things of living in the kingdom for a little while, especially when you've been there for most of your life, it's entirely possible to walk right past Jesus broken like you work at a museum and it's a Jackson Pollock on the wall and everyone else is amazed. See, like if we lose amazement, if we lose that that gut connection to Jesus broken, then we will lose view of Mount Everest and we will ultimately lose the, the landmark that gives us reference for the rest of our life in any hope of renewal. We can't become immune to it. And the reason we can't become immune to it is because what Jesus broken really says about God says a hundred things. But the thing it really says to me is that God would rather suffer than punish. God, He's the kind of person... Who would rather suffer and he would rather suffer himself than punish people for what they for what they actually deserve. Uh, that's that's breathtaking, you know. He doesn't have to do it, but he would rather take he would rather take it upon himself than punish someone else. And how many of you know if you've ever been offended, if someone's ever offended you, the thing that you most want to do is you you want retribution, right? You just want to smack them at least and if not smack them then you want to verbally smack them right and then think about god like 12 billion people have been alive in at least recorded human history and every single one of them has offended him every single one and his heart posture is i will suffer for them i would rather suffer for them than punish them that's that's absolutely stunning It's the Mount Everest of His mercy. Not only that, but His great mercy reveals our need. His mercy reveals our need. If Jesus broken on the cross is the solution, then how bad was the problem? That's one of those things we really need to take into effect. Like if the answer is Jesus nailed to a cross, naked, with a spear in His side, blood and water, crown of thorns, humiliated... Everyone, everyone, they pulled his beard hair out. Everyone smacking him in the face. They tore his back up. If that's the answer, then what was the problem? See, sometimes we think we've got it all right. I want to assure you as the pastor of the vineyard, we are not okay. We've we've become numb to it sometimes. We think, I'm okay, I'm pretty well okay. No, apparently not. Jesus hung naked on a cross. If He's hanging naked on a cross, something was massively wrong. In view of His mercy, it reveals my need. He's revealing our need. And that's not something that happens to us once, but it's it's an ongoing revelation. And so in view of all that, we need to respond because the light has dawned and it's actually getting brighter every day and the reality is that every day that passes darkness is less of an option here's what i mean jesus was crucified buried put in a tomb and resurrected when jesus was resurrected it's no it's 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 not a bit of literature and it's not good writing that jesus was resurrected early in the morning it's actually god telling us how it actually is going down at a fully spirit dimensional universal level It's that in the morning, the light dawned. And it isn't just the sun coming up in the east. It's the sun of heaven getting up. And when He got up, a new day dawned. The light is coming and darkness is becoming less of an option every single day because He's going to come back. And every day that we live, we are nearing this moment when He comes back. And because of that, the daylight is approaching even more and darkness is more and more less of an option. So we need to respond to His mercy Even right now, even if you responded when you were 12, even if you've been dunked in the water, even if you've prayed the prayer, we need to live a a life of responding to His mercy because every ounce of darkness is becoming less of a viable option as we approach His coming. And so transformation that changes us from the inside begins with being able to see God's mercy. It's like I said, there's all kinds of stuff in life. You'll find whatever you want to find. It's the still small voice. Seeing His mercy. And then Paul says, you you should offer your bodies as living sacrifices. See, Jesus offered His body, and, and one of the things He's asking is, go ahead and offer your body back to me and it's and it's not because you know it's not because he's demanding payment either you know there's all these weird theologies you know I just I just well I owe it to God well yeah I, I guess in the most narrow sense you do owe it to God but it's not as though what you could possibly pay is going to impress him he's big right I mean he could shout but he doesn't it's that God is he's, He is opening and He is inviting us into a relationship where we can respond to Him in the way that He's already responded to us. It, it's it's a there's a mutual something here. Come and walk the kind of life I've walked. Come and do it alongside me. Jesus laid down His life and now He's saying, Lay down your life. And when Paul uses the word bodies, you know, he's not just talking about our flesh and blood bodies, though he does mean that. What he's talking about is he's ho- talking about your whole life. He's talking about your physical strength. He's talking about your intellectual capabilities. He's talking about your talents, your hopes, your plans, your desires, your body, everything. Everything that it is. And and he's talking about that, that thing that's most, most basic, that most basic element of what it means to be a human. You realize that when you were born from your mother, all you had was your body. You didn't have anything else. That he's talking about the essence of who you are. And so Jesus gave the everything, the essence of who God was to humanity. And now he's saying, I would like to receive the essence of who you are. And it's that response. Uh, that's one of the things I love about the kingdom of heaven. It's not just, it's not just the goal that's the goal, but the process changes us. Being the kind of person who can respond by offering our body to God, every single thing that we are, it changes us. And then Paul goes on to say, do not conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. How many of you realize that uh, the world has a pattern and it wants to shape you? The world has a pattern and it wants to shape you. Not only that, but every single person in the room right now, me included, every single person in the room is being conformed into something. Everybody here is worshiping something. Everybody here is in a pattern that's being conformed. Everyone here is being pressed. Everyone here is being shaped. Everyone here is being chiseled. Everyone in here is being fashioned. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. And one of the things that, I'm, that I take from that is that it actually requires that we become aware of how we are being conformed already. It's this, it's this awareness thing. We need to become aware of the way the patterns of the world are already conforming us, already shaping us. And so we need to say, God, Spirit, would you come in my life and show me how the patterns of the world are forming me? I have a really good story that I'm not going to tell here. It's really hysterical. you can ask me later. <laughs> but everybody here is being conformed and we're being conformed by the pattern in the world. We need to be aware of the ways that we're being conformed. Um, how many of you realize this, that if you grew up in a house where anger was as common as the English language, that it's the only thing you really know how to speak? But how many of you realize that if you grow up in a house where anger is as common as English, you're not aware that that's not normal. But you've been conformed by the pattern of this world. See, the issue is, not just have we been conformed, we have. The issue is, am I aware that I've been conformed? Do I even want to be aware that I've been conformed? How many of you realize that anger isn't okay? Okay. Scripture says that the anger of man does not accomplish God's righteousness. See, everybody in here has got goals. Some of us grew up in angry houses. We need to to see where that pattern has been set on us. We need to be transformed in that place. Some of us have life dreams. Some of us have callings from God and we grew up in an angry house. It's going to be really difficult to accomplish the righteousness of God if our native language is anger. So this, this, this call to not conform is actually a battle and it requires that we become proactive. Not only that, but it requires that we must have a bigger, clearer experience with the God and His kingdom. See, it, it happens by choosing God and not simply choosing not to do this, why, or that. How many of you realize that if you try to not be angry, it doesn't work? You know what happens when you try to not be angry? You will maintain your anger, And you will have a thick coating of frustration on top of that, right? Why are you frustrated? You're frustrated because you can't get rid of your anger. See, transformation doesn't come from trying not to do something. Anger seems to be the hot topic right now. I have no idea. It's for somebody in here. (laughs) Um, But you don't get... You don't get free of anger by trying not to be angry. You get free of anger by falling in love with God. That's how you get free of anger. You get free of anger by falling in love with God. And you fall in love with God, not because you're a good person and you can love God, but you fall in love with God because you become aware somehow that He's crazy in love with you. And your need has been totally eclipsed by His desire for you. So one of the things I would say to you, church, this morning is be careful what captures the throne in your heart. And I'm not even going to offer any examples this morning. I was talking to the worship band earlier this morning. I'm not even going to offer any examples. I'm not even going to put up any guidelines here. And one of the reasons I'm not is because human nature, uh, human nature typically does two, one of two things when I, if I were to set out a bunch of lists, if I were to make a little list right here, we would do one of two things. Some of us would adhere to whatever list that I could possibly talk about in 30 seconds and we would make a religion of it and we'd be like, well, Adam had three things and I'm really good on those three things, so I'm okay. Or, we would find that none of the things that are on my list that I give you apply to me, so I'm okay. It's a joke. Here's the truth. We're not okay. And just so you guys know, this is not our normal vineyard message. Let me explain to you what the normal, where we're at. Uh, There is a road and there are two ditches on either side of it. On the left ditch, it it is religious rule following that doesn't touch the heart that's looking for approval. That ditch will kill you the ditch on the right side of the road is like total freedom anarchy. In general, we drive our vineyard bus into the right ditch. People are like, you got to watch out for vineyard people. You do have to watch out for vineyard people. You absolutely have to watch out for vineyard people. the filter is just rocking right now but this is a season for some of us to investigate not some of us for everyone in here to investigate deeply where we're driving and to see whether or not we're in the right ditch or not this is a moment in God to say God I want to pull I want to pull the vehicle of my life back up into the center aisle And so I won't be prescriptive. But because I won't be prescriptive doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you. It doesn't mean that God isn't shouting in a whisper to the center of your life right now. And then Paul goes on to say that if you want to be transformed, it takes mind renewal. What does that mean? Well, and basically it just means we need to think like God thinks. We need to have His thoughts. We need to have His thoughts about people. We need to have His thoughts about places. We need to have His thoughts about purposes. We need to have His thoughts about plans. We need to have His thoughts and His agenda about what is possible and what is not possible. Like for instance, if someone gets really, really sick with cancer, you know, everyone in the world says they're going to die, but God says, I've come to make all things new and so there's life. And so when we walk into the room... What is it that we really think? Not what we actually let just come out of our mouth. That's easy. Anyone can tell a lie. But what do we really, really think on the inside? When someone in front of us has stage four bone cancer, whatever that is, someone is sitting in front of us and without some sort of a miraculous divine intervention, they are going to die. When they're in front of you, what do you really think? Do you really think that God wants to come through, that He could come through for them? Mind renewal. We, we need to have the kind of mind, and here's the deal, mind actually ref, actually points actually even deeper to the heart. Do we have a heart that really believes that God can? Not just that God could, but that He wants to. That no one's ever too close to death. We need, we need to have our minds renewed. I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time around here, and you guys realize this, you know, that a that, that huge portion of the church culture in America, and especially in the South, believes that when bad things happen, it comes from God, you know? That's an area where we need mind renewal. He is absolutely good. He's absolutely good. Like, he couldn't give you cancer because he doesn't have it to give. He can't find it in his pocket. God doesn't kill children. God doesn't kill anyone. It's not who he is. It's absolutely, positively not who he is. Yet sometimes we comfort ourselves with thoughts and we, 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 we reflect blame onto God. We, we put Him and make Him responsible for things that are not Him and the result for our life is catastrophe. Like if God is bad, then who needs the devil, right? Like if, if God's a monster, who are we running to? We need, we need mind renewal in this area of, goodness, of the goodness of God that's just one particular area one that bothers me like what if god's a monster what if he's the scary monster what if what if sometimes you get jesus but then sometimes jesus just unzips himself and he's a grizzly bear and he eats you and at the end of the day at the end of the day you're supposed to be happy with it because it was god like you're not even allowed to be sad that you got eaten by the grizzly bear you know I'm being a little silly, but there's something underneath it. And you even feel guilty when you when you want to turn your heart and say, God, why did that happen? You're not even allowed to question it. You're just supposed to say, whatever happens, it's God. Maybe not. Maybe there's a real devil in the world who kills people. Maybe, I don't know. We need mind renewal in this area. This is one potential area. One really huge area. I really, I really hate like the whole God is a bad guy thing. Because it reduces human existence and it, 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 it just, it's, it's horrible and it turns the keys to the ignition over to the smart people who try to convince us that we just need to look at life from a higher plane. And that, you know, if you just, if you can just get up a little higher. No, here's the deal. Like if my son River knows that something is bad, it's bad it's not more complex we don't need a buddhist reality of of a higher plane we need to realize that god is absolutely perfectly good he's the father of lights in him there is no darkness at all every good and perfect gift comes from him that's what we need we need mind renewal that area Mind renewal. Is is my life governed by His Word and His truth? Right down to the way I think? Or is it governed by my own life experience? That's the real issue. Is it governed by God's Word? Not just His Word in the Bible, which is really, really good, by the way. I'm glad to hear that more people are reading it. That's good this morning. But is my life governed by God's Word? But not just the Bible, but is it is it governed... By His personal word to me, like when I get up in the morning, that, that word, is it governed by His, do this, don't do that, go here, be with me. Is it governed by that or is it governed by just my life experience, you know? Crappy things have happened, so God is against me. Is that way I think? If it is, then I need mind renewal. Do I live from my own experience or do I live from heaven's word? And then what do I do when they're opposed? What do I do when everything in my entire existence has taught me one thing? And God's word, both in the scripture and in the moment, is the exact opposite. like i just need to announce some stuff is that okay i don't even know is that all right yeah yeah Yeah, i just feel like this is this is a moment for us that if we will if we will do if we'll do the hard thing now great light is going to come on us If we'll give God access to our heart in every single place right now, then there's a great light that will come on us. The truth is there's a great light that's already on us. But if you're choosing the dark, you don't have any access to it. Why don't we do this this morning? Why don't you stand up and ministry team, if you're here.